God is the one that put that hole, if you will, in your life and mine. Because if he did not, he could get the enemy to fulfill the satisfaction of your life and take you to a destiny called hell. Because we would look at something else as fulfilling. But the hope that he subjected us to was Jesus Christ and that in him we would find the fulfillment of that void that's in our life. Am I making sense this morning? Each and every one of us, I'm, I'm speaking such blatant truth this morning because I want us to end this year and begin the new year with a perspective, a thought of eternity. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Master. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Uh, I want to jump right into today's message that I've titled Thoughts of Eternity. Appreciate our worship team. Appreciate all the ministries in Victorious Life. You've you saw the, the need that we still have in our uh, children's ministry. You know, it's the, it's the area that, that really makes the biggest distance, a difference long term, but it's also the ministry that is the most difficult. Uh, because in dealing with kids, how many have kids? It's interesting, dealing with kids. And, it, it, you know, uh, people say, well, Pastor, you're kind of removed from dealing with kids. No, I just deal with a different age group of kids. Hey, hey. We all get old. We just, some of us don't grow up. Hey, I'm on the top of that thing. Uh, we want to pray because there are going to be a lot of our families uh, that are, you know, the, the thing when, when, uh, when Christmas or a holiday falls on a Wednesday or a Thursday, most places make it a long weekend, and uh, if the company does it themselves, then people try to work it out, and, and every time that we have uh, Christmas fall in the middle of the week or towards the end of the week, uh, people just stay gone. They come back on Sunday, and so there's going to be a lot of people on the road that today, and so we want you to say uh, some extra prayers for safety. We all know what happens to I-17 and I-40 during this time of year. So we want to make sure that people are traveling safe and they stay safe. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Ecclesiastes. I try my my best. I don't do this every week, but I try to do this as much as I can uh, to actually open the physical Bible because it's good for us to know what the Word of God is saying in our hand. 
Now, I don't have a problem with the electronic Bibles and, and different things like that. I used them myself during my studies because uh, it used to be if you would have saw me back in the, uh, uh, the early 80s and, and sermon preparation stuff, you'd come into my office, my desk literally would be a mountain of books because you had to open up multiple resources to do things. And I would have sometimes six, eight, ten different Bible versions. I actually remember one time I bought a, a Bible that was eight versions in one Bible. I mean, that Bible was thick. But it was more of a pain to just go through it than it was to open up a bunch of other Bible versions. And, and so uh, I, I used to, I, I, I would really love, I don't used to, I, I love opening up my Bible. I love to read my Bible. And I love to read it right in front of me. Well, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to take you to Ecclesiastes. And I'm not going to read chapter 1, verse 1. I am going to read the preamble. All of you all have preambles. They are the introduction to the book. Now mine might read a little different than yours, but I'm going to read it. This is the, uh, the Holman uh, Bible, and uh, the, New King, the New King James Version. But I, I want to just take a moment. I want to read the preamble. The preamble would be the, the, the in, it's, it's, that's another word for introduction. It's introducing the book of Ecclesiastes. So I want you to listen to it because it's pertinent to what I'm going to talk about today. Thoughts of eternity. If you read about Ecclesiastes, you read the entire book of Ecclesiastes, the word Ecclesiastes is the same word that we get the word church from. The Ecclesia. It means the called out ones. Okay? We are the Ecclesia. The Ecclesia is not a building. The Ecclesia is the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. Okay? I am the church. Okay? One person, a multiple of people. Okay? And so we are the Ecclesia. So here we have a book called the called out. Ecclesiastes. Okay? written by the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. Three books in the Bible are credited to Solomon, and that is Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. I think it's interesting that, that this book here, Ecclesiastes, sets right in the center of them. And the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about the church, talking about where the church needs to set their focus. Am I making sense so far? Okay? Because I don't know about you, I've had my focus in many places in this, this uh, 60-something years of my life, 62 years of my life. I've had it focused many different places. Can I tell you something? In my years as a Christian, I've had it focused many places. And can I tell you, to my chagrin, not necessarily on the things of God. One of the perplexities that you and I have as Christians is when we get out of focus. We talked about this being 2020. Could this be a year of clear focus? Renewed focus? Perfect vision? 
The key word in Ecclesiastes, I'm reading my preamble now. Yours might be a little bit different, but I'm reading mine. The key word in Ecclesiastes is vanity. That word vanity in the Hebrew literally means emptiness. A vain person is a person empty of everything but self. We see the key phrase of today's society is narcissism. Narcissism is full of self. Okay? Vanity is emptiness. Narcissism is full. Vanity is emptiness of everything, and narcissism is you become everything. Irony, isn't it? The futile emptiness of trying to be happy apart from God. Is anybody's reading like mine so far? Okay. The preacher, normally taken for Solomon, and that's an interesting word that I'll, uh, that's, that's broken up in this thing. The, uh, the preacher, the wisest, richest, most influential king in Israel's history, looks at life, and it's interesting, look what his terminology is, under the sun. Under the sun, under the heavens, under creation. He looks at life under the sun, we see that in verse 9 of chapter 1, from the human perspective and declares it what? Empty. And look at the key phrase, life apart from God is empty. Ecclesiastes, from the word ecclesia, the church apart from God is empty. So many churches are trying to preach the success of the world. So many churches are trying to say, if you do this, that, and the other thing, you will have the success of God, which is not what the Word of God teaches. Power, popularity, prestige, pleasure, nothing can fill the God-shaped void in man's life but God himself. But once you look at at, at life from God's perspective, life takes on a meaning and purpose causing Solomon to exclaim, eat, drink, rejoice, do good, live joyfully, fear God, keep his commandments. Skepticism and despair melts away when life is viewed as the daily gift of God. The Hebrew title, and I can't pronounce the word so I won't even say it, is a rare term. and in your, It's Q-O-H-E-L-E-T-H. Found only in Ecclesiastes. It's the word that comes from kohal. Okay, I can't pronounce that one. It means to convoke an assembly. To assemble. Thus it means the one who addresses the assembly. Talking to the preacher. The preacher is writing the book of Ecclesiastes. He is proclaiming. He is conveying, convoking. And in the terminology, provoking. 
people to challenge their view of life. The Septuagint used the Greek word ecclesiastes as the title of this book, derived from the word ecclesia, which means the assembly, the congregation, or the church. It simply means that the preacher is preaching to the assembly. Interesting. How many have ever read the prologue before or the, uh, the preamble before? Okay. So I want to look at that because you look at these 12 simple chapters of Ecclesiastes and all of the discourse and despair or the blessing or promise of life is found in these little 12 chapters. You read, I, I would encourage you when you get home from church today, read Ecclesiastes. Twelve little chapters as we go into 2020. Maybe it will cause us to go in with a perfect vision, a clear vision, a renewed vision. Now don't put your Bibles away because we're going to be reading some more. Every person on this earth, I'm in your notes now, basically has three issues that he or she must deal with if they're ever going to have peace. Over the last four weeks, we have talked about Christmas. We have talked about uh, the different uh, aspects of Christmas, from, from the wise men to, to the shepherds to Joseph, uh, to, to all that God had planned for Christmas, and that eternity is about Christmas. Peace is about Christmas. Promise is about Christmas. You say Christmas the day, no Christmas the event. The fact that God sent his only son into the world to, to defeat death, hell, and the grave to give you and I the keys of life that we can again be in charge of it. Can somebody say amen? But no matter how successful we become in this life, no matter how unsuccessful we become in this life, might I add famous or infamous, beautiful or unattractive, handsome or plain, these three simple truths are the traits, are the key to the hope or the demise of our future. Now, let me take you, it's on the screen, to Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham, who is called the father of our faith. Now think about it for a second. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and Abraham, the father of our faith. That would be two people I think I would, I would model my life after. What about you? Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child. How did Abraham look for that city? By faith. It was by faith that Abraham, that Sarah was able to have a child, though barren and being too old. How many have ever told you you were too old? How many ever told you you were too young? How many ever told you you were too inexperienced? How many ever told you you had too much experience? You ever went for a job interview? Yeah, we can't hire you. You got too much experience. What's that supposed to mean? 
I would think if I had too much experience, that would be beneficial. Now, I know they use it as detrimental because they, uh, you got too much experience for this job, so you'll only use this as a stepping stone for the next job. I don't usually operate that way. I usually focus on a job that I think I can better and be better because of. But I want you to underline, underline these next few words, and it's bold on the screen, and I'm not sure if I left it bold in your notes or not, but even if I did, I want you to underline that. She believed that God would keep his promise. How many believe that God will keep his promise? Okay, it's easy to raise our hand, but when push comes to shove, do we really believe? Do we really believe? Okay, let me, let me be the provoker. Remember the preacher? How many have had something you believed for didn't work out the way you thought it would work out. And then you got mad at God. Oh, not me. Yeah. <laughs> you got mad at the preacher. The provoker. You got mad at the church. Because it didn't go the way you thought it should. See, it's easy to say, I, I believe God. That he's going to keep his promise. But then what happens when we fall into the next verse? All these people died not seeing the promise. And they still believed. See, this is pertinent to Ecclesiastes. This is why Solomon spends 12 chapters, and it wasn't written in 12 chapters, but it was written to the assembly, and we broke it into 12 chapters so we could follow it easier, so that we could read it chapter and verse, that we could find the different places, and all of us pull out those nice little nuggets that are really wonderful to pull out, wonderful nuggets, but they need to be put back into the mind to bring out the full picture that the gold is displaying, the full radiance that the gold is bringing out. Am I making sense? So it said, all of these died not receiving what was promised to them. How many here, if you go your whole life and you don't get it from God, what you believe God has promised, you're going to still have that same faith. Abraham did. But Abraham also did some things wrong. God said, I'm going to give you a child. Well, 125 years later, he's thinking, okay, God, where is that baby? And so he went and worked it out himself. How many ever tried to make God's promise come true? Oh, I'm glad we have a handful of honest people in here. I didn't want to raise my hand myself, Eric. You know, I'm thinking, man, people are going to think I'm strange. Look at somebody and say, I'm strange too. Yeah, it's too late. They already know I'm strange. But look what it says here. They didn't receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They saw it and welcomed it. Did you know sometimes God's going to fulfill His promise on the other side of this divide called life? Because life isn't going to end. That's why we can read the Bible and say, how do these guys, how can they do this? Because he's talking about an eternal city. 
and eternal life. Look what it says here. They agreed. Circle that, th- th- that phrase with me. They agreed. What did they agree with? They agree with God's, I, I don't want to use the word premise, but I will. They agree with God's premise that this life is temporal. That there's something more to life than living and dying. And so they made themselves foreigners, nomads here on the earth. That's what the Bible says about Abraham. He never built a house. He always lived in tents because he knew that life on this earth was not the end result. So why lock myself to it? Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. They can call their own. If they long for the country they came from, they could have returned. But they were looking for a better place. How many are looking for a better place? A heavenly place. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is built around this idea, or maybe this idea of Hebrews is built around Ecclesiastes. However you want to look at it, the Bible tells us we got to get our focus in the right place. If we don't, we will have these three dilemmas that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment. Okay? Number one, the first thing that happens in our life, if we don't focus as they're talking about in Hebrews 11, as it's talking about in Ecclesiastes, if we don't focus that way, people will be filled with an emptiness. How is that for a conundrum? Filled with an emptiness that they spend their whole life trying to fill. And there's not a single person in this room that has not tried to fill that emptiness with something. Back in the old rock and roll days, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Back in the old country western days, it was, you know, the dog dying, the cat running, running off, or the wife running off, or the husband running off, or something else, trying to fill that, that emptiness inside with more sadness or more, see, everybody else is just like me. We call it the victim mentality. Well, ultimately, that emptiness has to be fulfilled. So what I want to do over the next few minutes today is try to help us address that. And our next series that we're going to get into is going to give us the directions to fulfill that. And the series is simply called Seeking First God's Kingdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What is our dilemma? He placed eternity in our hearts. Now look at me. That's the reason you will never be satisfied on this earth. God didn't put you here to be satisfied. He put you here to, I like to put it this way, He brought you in to send you out. He saved you that you could be a salvation for others. He brought you into His kingdom. He saved you out of the kingdom of darkness that you could reach out and pull others out of the kingdom of darkness. He wrote eternity on your heart. He, pl- he purposely put, and I'm going to get to that in Romans chapter 8 here in just a moment. He purposely put that into you. God did this. That emptiness you feel, God is the author of it. 
Open your Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Okay? Now I have the New King James Version up here, and I wanted to read this out of the New Living Translation, because some of you have that. But I want you to listen to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon is writing here, and he said, I said to myself, okay, now look at me, look at me. Solomon is trying God out. He's trying this whole creation thing out. He said, I'm feeling empty inside. This whole vanity thing. He starts off, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, vanity of vanities. You can't get more empty than empty of emptiness. That's a pretty way, that's how he starts uh, Ecclesiastes 1.1. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Can't get any more empty than that. That's what the word vanity means. Emptiness. Okay? He says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Immediately he throws it in there, then he starts to explain. He says, I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, what good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself. Okay, stop, stop for a second. How many have, and don't raise your hand, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. How many have ever tried to buy something to make you happy? You ever went to the store because you said, man, if I just get this, it'll just... Anybody besides me? Man, come on, don't make me feel bad. I'm feeling all alone up here. Anybody besides me? Okay. Okay. Huh? I have to raise my hand because it's me. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that. See, I'm getting in trouble. I'm leaving this side. I'm going over this side. But when you were done with it, it kind of wore off. The new wore off really quick. Well, this is what Solomon's talking about. And then what he does, because he can't find anything to satisfy him, look what he says. He said, so I decided to cheer myself up by getting drunk. With wine. He said, I I worked so much at it that I even decided to build my own vineyard. Look at this. I will cheer myself up with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. See what he says? When you're trying to escape it by inebriating yourself, you become the epitome of foolishness. How many know somebody like that? In this way, I tried to express the only happiness most people find in their brief existence on earth is trying to escape the realities of life through a bottle, through a needle, through a pill. Do you think it's by chance that they legalize marijuana? Now, please don't get me wrong. If you have a medical issue, I'm 100% to, to help medicinally do whatever. For the rest of it, I'm going to hold up that proverbial mirror. Or some of you could not be familiar with my mirror. My mirror has the word stupid written on it. When we think I can use marijuana to escape, 
I just want everybody to see what stupid looks like. The same if you can use an illicit affair to escape. Or I can use drugs or alcohol to escape. Sooner or later, you've got to come back to sobriety. Sooner or later, you've got to come back to reality. And you know what I tell people? Is when you have taken that little trip, and when you come back, what was there when you left is now there when you came back. It's only worse. Because instead of addressing it, you avoided it. I see a lot of people. Folks, been there, done that. He goes on and he says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting even more vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with all kinds of trees. I built reservoirs, collect water to irrigate my parks and my gardens and my flourishing groves. He said, I bought slaves, men and women. Uh, also, there were other slaves born in my household. I owned large herds of flocks, herds and flocks, many more than any other kings who have ever lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. I became greater than anyone who ever lived before me. And then I love the way that he put this here. Even in all of my attaining, my wisdom never failed me. This is why we have Ecclesiastes. Because he outlined all of this to help us to understand it doesn't matter. Let's see, Jesus puts it in very simple terms. What good does it do to gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Anything I wanted to take, are you still with me? Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Anything I wanted to take, I, I des denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. Hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so empty. So meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now that is depressing. And this is what Solomon, in his great wisdom, tries to get the ecclesia to grab a hold of. That we're searching and running after the wrong things. The writer of Hebrews, many think it was Paul the Apostle. The apostle. Nobody knows for sure who it was. But he wrote it and said, listen. The father of our faith realized everything I pursue in this world is meaningless. I need to pursue something beyond this world. So Solomon is writing about things under the sun or the mundane, the mundane things of earth, the things under the creator of heaven and earth. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon begins with vanity 
of vanities. And then he proceeds to demonstrate, demonstrate the truthfulness of his convictions. God has done something in your life and mine. And we find it recorded in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Now it's not in your notes, so you need to write this down. And you say, well, Pastor, why didn't you just put it in my notes? Because you need to see what these things say in the Bible, not just on a screen. You need to look for yourself. Look what it says here. Creation was subjected to vanity, futility, nothingness, emptiness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. But look what the last two words are, in hope. He subjected us, all of creation, to the understanding that everything is empty. Scripture has made it clear that God made his creation subject to vanity or emptiness. In other words, God is the one that put that void in your life. God is the one that put that hole, if you will, in your life and mine. Because if he did not, he could get the enemy to fulfill the satisfaction of your life and take you to a destiny called hell. Because we would look at something else as fulfilling. But the hope that he subjected us to was Jesus Christ and that in him we would find the fulfillment of that void that's in our life. Am I making sense this morning? Each and every one of us I'm, I'm speaking such blatant truth this morning because I want us to end this year and begin the new year with a perspective, a thought of eternity. Each and every one of us at one time or another has sensed a deep longing, a loneliness that's almost unbearable. Is that a true statement or not? At various times in our life, this, this insatiable desire to be filled, but we don't know what to be filled with. It's like there is something missing that was supposed to be there that we have missed. Therefore, we have tried to fill this void with everything under the sun. Now, this is not a you thing or a me thing. This is an every person on earth thing. This is why, do you know the suicide rate and the rich people of the world is higher than everybody else? Do you know that the suicide rate in the licentious people of the world is higher than anywhere else? Did you know that the suicide rate, those people that are taking their life because there is no fulfillment in this life, is higher than anybody else outside of Christendom? In Christianity, because we know there's a fulfillment. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. There are some that have been dealing with this, this 
this loneliness inside, but I think it's more of the weight of the ministry. I, I cannot believe uh, there's six, I think a six is the number that I have, of the pastors of large churches in the last three or four years that have committed suicide. Something missing. And when a person does not have Christ, there is no way to fill that emptiness. Even when a person does have Christ, when they try to handle the pressure outside of Christ, it's overwhelming. Eternity is in the heart and is the very foundation of God's workmanship. Eternity in the heart is the essence of man's character. When you know there's something more to life than living and dying, you will begin to live your life that way. When you genuinely know that there is something in life more than living and dying, you will start living that way. That's why I asked the question earlier, what happens when the promises don't come to pass? Are you still committed to that life? Are you still dedicated to the one who is the promise? That, that's why the three Hebrew children could do what they did in, in front of Nebuchadnezzar. He heated the furnace up. And he said, if you don't bow down and worship me, I'm throwing you in. And their, their statement is just is audacious. They said, oh, king. Okay. We're not going to bow down. Our God's going to deliver us. Then listen to what they said. And even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down. You see, that's what you do when you know that that place that God placed in your heart is filled with God. That doesn't matter anymore. That's where we get the perspective of Revelation 12. They love not their life unto death. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It was the essence of that man's character. When everybody and their brother rises up against you, when your closest friends disown you, do you chase after them or chase after him? God has placed this in every human being on life. Some of us find him, some of us deny him. But we'll all answer to him. I would just rather do it on this side.
the first thing that we have to deal with is that emptiness. That emptiness that is inside every single one of us. Quickly, and secondly, I want to deal with the guiltiness. The second thing that people have to deal with is that sense of guiltiness in their life. And why I can't overcome this. We talked about suicide. We talked about people taking their life. The one thing that generates the biggest factor in that is a lack of purposefulness. What's the purpose of life? Remember what Solomon wrote? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When we look at life as our purpose and not eternity, life becomes purposeless. When we look at our life from the perspective of eternity, we know we have a purpose. God didn't create me for nothing. He created me for something. And so what I do is spend my life finding my purpose, and one of my jobs as a pastor is to help you find your purpose. That's why I will take you and I will ask you different questions. I will challenge you with different ideas. I will even say this would be a good place for you to get involved in. Some of you be like this. And then you get involved in it. That's not where I want to be. But you know what? They're starting to open up some things that I do want to do. And now we can just move you over. That's part of my job. I wish you could say that all pastors did that job, but they don't. A lot of pastors think their only job is just to preach a pretty message. I'm not sure how many messages were pretty. I had a, I had a few weeks ago, uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of those transparent kind of pastors. I preached a message right here just a few, just a few weeks ago. I told my wife about it. I preached that message. I thought it bombed. I thought it went over the pulpit, came back to the altar and repented. <laughs> I left church that day and I was, I was despondent. I think, man, God, God, that stinks. They need a new pastor. That was really bad. And you know how many of y'all came up and said that was the best message they've ever heard? See, God just helps me remember it's not me, it's Him. And you see, that's okay, because I know my purpose. My purpose is to challenge that He can change. And when I lose that purpose, you say, well, Pastor, when you challenge me, that irritates me. I have that gift. (laughs) But I have to help you get out of nothing to do something. I have to get you out of you to do him. I have to get you out of emptiness into somethingness. That's probably not a good word for you teachers, but it works. I was watching a movie just recently that told me I do speak normal. I was so ecstatic. And I'm not going to tell you what it was. 
But this is what this is talking about. I say all of that surrounding guiltiness because a lot of people, because they can't find their purpose, they go to alcohol, they go to drugs, they go to a psychiatrist, they go to a psychologist, they go to somebody to tell them, well, if you've got no purpose, it's not your fault. But it is. Because you're looking in the wrong place. You see, it always comes back to us. Solomon spent 12 chapters, an entire book, said, why are you looking for all these particulars when you should just be focused on Christ and do what he called you to do? People usually deal with guilt for two reasons, two different areas. Number one, and they're, they're on the screen, because they did things wrong. Can I tell you something? There's not a person in this church, myself included, that hasn't done so much wrong that we should be banished to hell already. But oh, for the grace of God. The London Medical Health Institute said these words. The head of the organization many years ago said these words. I could release half of my patients if I could find a way to relieve them of their sense of guilt. Most people are despondent in life because they feel they're accomplishing nothing. Guilt is present in the human soul and we cannot deal with it without dealing with God. God didn't put the guilt in there. Satan did. Another word for guilt is condemnation. God put in the human heart conviction. Satan got us to believe that it's condemnation. Jesus put in there conviction to draw you to him to find the reason, the purpose for life in him. And the devil condemned you and said, you're worthless, you're nothing, you will never amount to anything. Some of us raised our children that way. You're never going to be anything different. You ever found somebody? You got a friend. Well, that's just the way they are. Why? You know how many people have come to me over the years and said, Pastor Tim, why don't you just let this guy be what this guy is? That's just the way he is. Yeah, unless somebody will help him to not be that way. That's why I go out of my way to get in your way. That hopefully I can get you in the way. That was worth the whole sermon. The second reason that people feel guilty is they're not fulfilling a purpose in life. Now I'm going to talk to the ecclesia. I'm going to talk to the church. The church has been convinced if you don't have enough education, you can't do the work of God. Can I tell you, I was pastoring for five years before I ever went to Bible school. I was pastoring. 
Before I got my PhD, I had G-O-D. I was okay with that. But then people said, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you get, where'd you get your degrees? Where'd you get your... I said, okay, I'll go get some degrees. Will that make you happy? God was already happy. And so now I have degrees. It didn't change me. Degrees aren't going to change you. If you don't have G-O-D, it doesn't matter about a PhD. The schools are full of them. Well, if you don't have enough education. Oh, if you don't have enough Bible knowledge. I cannot tell you how many times over the years somebody has asked me a Bible question that I should have known the answer to and I didn't. You know what I did when they asked me? So what do you think? I said, I don't know. (laughs) But I'll find out. It's okay not to know. I have the answer book in my hand. You're not wise enough. Like I said, I've never been called a wise man, but I've been called a wise guy. You're not mature enough. You know what the scriptures say? Let no one despise your youth. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Don't let anybody talk to you and think less of you because you're young. But listen to what it says, though. It says, be an example to everyone in what you say, the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Maturity does not matter of age. It matters of commitment is what Scripture is saying. You know what else the Bible says? You will have wisdom beyond your years. If you will put God first, if you will trust God, if you will live G-O-D, you don't need Ph.D. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the foundation for all wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. You say, well, pastor, can you break that down? Sure. If you ask God, you'll make the right decision. If you go to God first, you'll make the right decision. Psalm 119 tells us God will help us to know what we didn't know. How I love your law. I think about it day and night. Your word makes me wiser than those who hate me, for it is always with me. I have better understanding than all my teachers because I think about your law. I think about what you want, God. Isn't that cool? Look at this. Psalm 119. I'm starting with 97 through 106. It's the longest passage in the Bible, 119th Psalm. Look what it says here. I have kept my feet from every sinful way. You notice it didn't say, God, you kept me from every sinful way? Who keeps you from sin? The person sitting in your chair. God gives you the ability to say no, and all of heaven stands with you when you say no, but you're still the one that has to say How sweet is your word? Sweeter than honey. I get understanding from your word. 
I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide unto my path, a light unto my path. I have promised that I will keep your law and I will add strength to this promise. See, God will help you know what you didn't know you knew. Now let me go a step further there. There are people that would like to pastor. Can I tell you, you can be a pastor and not have a church. You know what the word pastor means? Shepherd. How many here own a business? You're a Christian, right? You know what you are? A pastor of that business. You're shepherding that business. All of those people under you are looking to you for guidance, direction, understanding, wisdom. How better it would be if you just took them to God's Word. Well, Pastor, I can't, I can't uh, use God's Word on my job. You didn't have to say it was God's Word. You just tell them, well, this is what I think, and then quote Scripture. They're going to think you awfully smart. And then when their life starts changing and God starts doing, where did you get all that wisdom? Then you can lead them to the one that they didn't know that you knew they were talking about. Am I making any sense today? It's in your notes. There's people that want to pastor or lead in some other way but because they're women, they don't feel like they can do it. They have a burden on their heart. They have a call on their lives. But because they're female, they feel disqualified because of Scripture taken out of context. Two Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2. Scripture is full of women who were the lead in capacities not just with women and children, but with men also. As judges, as prophets, as deacons, as apostles. In Romans 16, Paul himself talks about a woman by the name of Phoebe. He calls her a deaconess. When you look up the word for deaconess, it means elder. Do you know what a synonym for the word pastor is? elder. Do you know what a synonym for the word elder and pastor is? Shepherd. Leading. They were judges. They were prophets. They were deacons. They were apostles. At Victorious Life Christian Center, we have Pastor Jewel and Pastor Beverly. The last I looked, they was female. See, they don't have a gender identity problem. And as a husband, I'm grateful. Pastor Ray, you're grateful. Yeah. Okay. They are pastors. And we will most likely have other female pastors in this church. Why? Because the Word of God, in my mind, has a clarity to it. Has a clarity to it. And so in God's Word, which is where I stand... 
I have to advocate what I see the Word of God advocates. So if you're here and you happen to be of the feminine gender, God can use you just as much as He can use me. You don't have to sit back and think, well, I can't be pastor. I, my pastor, a man by the name of Mike Neville, died at 49 years old of a brain tumor. God could have healed him, but God chose not to. But God kept his promise. He's home. And now Mike Neville's walking with God. His wife, because of this teaching, thought she couldn't take over the church, thought she couldn't be the pastor of the church. Virtually everyone in the church rose up and said, we want you to be the pastor. She went through, and this woman, she studies the word of God with a fine-tooth comb. She said, okay, God, I can see your word says it's okay, so okay. There's some great women pastors. God doesn't have a problem what I can see. But you can see now how people can be filled with emptiness and still overcome it. They can be filled with guiltiness and overcome it. And how do we do that? We fill our lives with, number one, a love for the Word of God, and secondarily, a love for the will of God. Then we overcome the emptiness and the guiltiness by walking in the way that God has led. In this, He begins to direct us into the steps that He outlined before you were ever born, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Am I making sense today? <coughs> it's getting quiet. Let me wrap it up. Number three. The first thing we do is we've got to deal with this emptiness. How do you deal with the emptiness? You've got to get Jesus in your life. The second thing you've got to deal with is the guiltiness. The guiltiness is usually because I don't think I'm obtaining any purpose in my life. Well, the way you overcome that is you say, God, thy will, not my will. And then you start pursuing what you believe God has placed in your life. If you will take care of those two, the third one kind of takes care of itself, that people are afraid to die because of uncertainty about eternity. Now, I know there's people that sit back and say, I I'm not afraid to die. No. Every one of us don't know what's happening, myself included. I think about death. Oh, I'm not morbid, and I'm not some, uh, what do they call that person? I'm not longing for death. I'm longing for heaven. I'm longing to go home. My wife and I were just talking about the other day, they had this, this scare about these, this drug. If you're taking this drug, it can cause cancer. And, and I take a little uh, uh, omeprazole every day to help to deal with bronchitis, bronchial issues. And she was concerned about the, that and the correlation to that. Well, I went and looked it up, and they're not even related. They're two different sides of the fence. My doctor people say amen. Okay, good. good. I know people that say, I'm not a doctor, I'm a nurse. I'm not a doctor. Hey, you're a lot more doctor than me. Okay. Um, and so I looked at this, but in thinking about it, I thought, man, that's not a bad idea. I'd go home. 
But she said, but I'd be lonely. And she said that, my heart melted. I said, okay, I'll stay. (laughs) Death is the shadow that hangs over every human life. It is God's evaluation of your life and mine that makes the difference in death. Though impossible to do so, we are constantly attempting to escape the fact of death. People work out. People do all kinds of eating healthy, you know, whatever the case is to try to do whatever. A guy by the name of William Randolph Hearst, you ever heard of him? He used to tell the story about Philip II, the king of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. Actually, the story was told by one of his people after Hearst died. If somebody talked about death, William Randolph Hearst would immediately uh, excommunicate them from his presence. He could, they could never be around him again. He forbade anybody to talk about death. King Philip, the king of Macedon and the father of Alexander the Great, commissioned a servant with one sole purpose every single day to come into his presence because he wanted to stay humble. He wanted to stay right, unlike his son. And this person was hired or was brought into his presence for one thing, and that was to say these words, remember, Philip, you must die. You see, when you know that there's more to life than living and dying, you'll change your perspective of life, and you'll put it on eternity. There's a pastor that used to go to those that feared death, And he was visiting a man about the salvation through Christ, and he said, I've been too busy for these things, and I've never had the time, the man that was dying said. Well, the pastor told the story at the conclusion of the man's life when the man said these words, I have been alive for 4,000 Sundays, and I have never made a decision for Christ. Well, on this day, the Lord's day, the man made a decision for Christ. And he purposed that he was going to live for God from that day forward. He didn't have much time left, but he lived for God from that day forward. When you and I begin to look at eternity as a focus in our life, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and say this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? D.L. Moody used to tell people, that when you read in the papers that D.L. Moody of Northfield has died, don't believe a word of it because he said, I'll be alive more then than I am right now. As the worship team comes, I don't want to be empty anymore. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I don't want to fear death anymore. You say, Pastor, do you feel? No, not at all. Because I know whom I believed. I know what I'm doing. And I know where I'm going. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, He was handed over to die because of my sins. And he was raised to life to make me right with God. And that is the same thing with your life and mine. 
You want to feel filled and not empty? Make a decision for Christ. And then start living for Him. You know what will happen next? That guiltiness will start going away. Because you'll now find purpose. You say, purpose? My calling will be fulfilled? No, your purpose will be to be in Christ. And then, as you're in Christ, He will direct your footsteps into the path that He called you to do. Am I making sense today? Okay? I got three heads shaking yes. Hopefully, this will be successful. The third thing is when I know whom I have believed and I know why I have believed, then what's death got power for? It has none. Because I know where I'm going. If it all ended suddenly today, if somebody walked in off the street and said, I don't like you, boom, I'd be home. Where would you be? Well, Pastor, I'm feeling these things. You want to deal with them? Let me take you back to Ecclesiastes. You still have your Bible open? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Are you there? Say amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let's start with the ninth verse. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, the provoker, the guy that would challenge. I don't, before some of y'all think I'm comparing myself to Solomon, I don't compare myself to his camel-covered toenail. Y'all can put picture together later. Because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Look at me, please. Unless you know God's Word, you know nothing. Wisdom comes from knowing God's Word. The reason I know how to stand is because I know where God's Word says to stand. So Solomon said, i, I got to preach knowledge. One of the things that I do, and I, by God's grace, I hope you all believe I do a decent job of it. I teach you God's Word. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I have to teach the people knowledge. I might know lots, but if I don't bring it to you, I know nothing. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. What was written was upright, words of truth. He tried to convey it in a way that everybody would understand without changing it. The words of the wise are like goads. If you know what a goad is, a goad is a stick with a point on it. They use it for, for shepherding the sheep. 
to get them to go the direction they may not want to go? Look what it says here. The words of the wise are like goads. The words of the scholars are like well-driven nails. Remember that irritation? Feels like a nail sometimes. Pastor, just let me do what I want to do. No. I want you to do what he wants you to do. And further, my son, be admonished by these. By what? By God's direction, God's word, God's uh, instruction. Of making many books, there's no end. You know how many religions in the world because somebody's taken some passage out of context? How many religions in the world because they didn't just want to stay in the truth of God's word? Making books, there is no end. You can study it until you're blue in the face, but I'll tell you the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. This is how you overcome emptiness and guiltiness and the fear of death. You love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You begin to walk in his path, and he begins to guide your steps. This new year can be a great year of victory for all those who want it. Now, you might say, I want it. Well, then what we have to do is say, God, I'll do it. And how are we going to do it? In His Word. Amen. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.